we get a lot of questions around options expiration, hundreds and hundreds a week. Yet the same vital few seem to float to the top consistently. So we're pulling these 15 questions into this week's podcast episode to help you understand and effectively navigate options expiration. And in the off chance that we didn't answer your question during the show, you can always reach out to us anytime for help and support. If you're going to trade options, you can't avoid going through expiration. So if you're going to trade options, you can't miss this week's podcast. You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you consistently play smarter, more profitable trades. So thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. On today's show number 187, we are going to be talking about these 15 top options expiration questions answered. And we're going to be going through these because truthfully, we get a lot of questions about these in our support and I want to help them out and help you guys out. So we're going to wrap these up and help you guys understand what these questions are and more importantly, give you the answers to each of these really, really common questions that we have. Now, the first thing I want to do actually is I want to give you guys some recent stats and I actually emailed the OCC directly. You guys can all do this as well. You can just email investorservices at the OCC.com and they were really quick to get back these stats, but I basically emailed them and I wanted to know what were the most recent stats that they kept for 2019 when it came to options trading contracts as far as closing sales, exercising, and long expirations. So the stats that they gave me were closing sales were 72.2%. Again, this means that 72.2% of the time, people actually executed a trade to close the position that they had. So they bought it back, they sold it back, they closed the position through trading the contract. Exercising was only 6.3% of the time. So only 6.3% of the time were any contracts actually exercised. Now, of course, most of that occurred with contracts that were really, really deep in the money. And very little of that was contracts that were marginal at best, kind of around at the money, slightly in the money, et cetera. But needless to say, of all the contracts traded in 2019, 6.3% of them were actually exercised. Long expirations, thing that just expired out of the money and completely worthless, I guess you could say were 21.5. And that's if they didn't, again, close those contracts and reverse the trades. Even if there's a little bit of contract value left in them, they might've closed them. And we do this often where we'll close something that we conceivably could let expire out of the money, but we're trying to capture a little bit of premium that's left in them and remove the position. So I want you to have that as kind of the backdrop around this because expiration is very much this large animal that people encounter when they start trading. They think it's this massive hairy beast that, that's in the dead of the night and they have to encounter it every month and it's just always there and it's always tearing people up. But it's not. It's really not. And so once you get through a lot of these questions and a lot of the stats around it, you understand that expiration is, of course, part of the business and part of the process, but is completely manageable in how you navigate it and how you get through expiration because it's going to happen and it's going to happen often. And you're going to continue to go through expirations just like the sun continues to rise and fall, right? So we're going to start off with these 15 questions. Like I said in the intro, if we didn't answer your question on the off chance, because these are truly some of the 
biggest, most asked important questions that we get on options expiration. If we didn't answer your question, let us know somewhere out there online on the show notes page in one of our social media channels. You can email our team at team at option alpha and we'll get the question answered for you. We're always here to get you, you know, to help you out and support you. So we'll definitely make sure we do that. First question is, will my broker automatically exercise options that are in the money at expiration? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes. They will definitely automatically exercise those contracts. Now, double check with your broker on what the actual process is or by how much the contract has to be in the money. But generally, even if the contract is a penny in the money, according to OCC standards, then the broker will choose and basically assume that your default choice was, because you didn't do anything with it, to actually exercise that contract and convert it over into the actual physical shares. Now, this also means that anything that is in the money will be automatically assigned if you leave it in the money and you're an option seller. So you have a call option contract and it's in the money even by a penny at expiration, then it will be automatically assigned if you don't physically cancel out the contract by removing it and reversing the trade. So if you leave the contract on, you forget about it, whatever the case is, it will then assume or the broker will assume that you want it to be assigned the stock and you want it to take delivery of it, you know, one form or another. And so they will do that. Now, there's two things here that I think are interesting and just two little sidebars. Being assigned stock and converting it over or exercising a position automatically that you're long is not necessarily a bad thing. It's the the end result of the contract and it's through the expiration period. You may want that. You may have sold a put option contract and you want to take delivery of the underlying shares at the strike price. It's not always a bad thing that happens, but it just requires a change in the structure of the trade from an option contract to underlying equity shares. And in many cases, it requires more capital to convert it over. One cool thing that we have built into the new bot trading platform, which we've been previewing, if you're following us on YouTube and Instagram in particular, we've been previewing this every couple of days, new features, new updates, new ways of using it, is we built in the technology to be able to check to see if a position is a certain days from expiration. And you can choose to do whatever you want with it, say five days, two days, one day from expiration. So one of the cool things that we built into bot management was the ability to double check, basically say, okay, is this position profitable now? And if it is, take it off. And if it's not profitable, is it five days before expiration? And if it is, take the position off, trying to curb a little bit of that early assignment risk that we might see in positions. All right, so question number two here is, why do all out-of-the-money option contracts expire worthless? This is a really simple answer here. So the reason that all out-of-the-money option contracts expire worthless is because they have no intrinsic value. So if you remember, option contracts are derived of basically two main components. One is intrinsic value, which I always think is, what's the value intrinsically in the contract if I were to convert it right now from option to stock. And the other component is extrinsic value. So what value does the contract have because of things like time decay, volatility, interest rates, et cetera, like all these external components. Once you get to expiration, the only thing it has left, because it's run out of time, it's run out of volatility value, there's no more interest rate impact, none of that. All that's left in the contract is the intrinsic value. So an option contract that's out of the money, which means a call option that's above where the stock is trading and a put option that's below where the stock is trading, has no intrinsic value. There's no value to it being converted right now, which means that it expires worthless. So that's why it happens. Question number three. What happens to deep in the money 
So deep in the money spreads at expiration. So this one's a little bit confusing sometimes. People don't understand what happens if they let it go to expiration. And we're specifically talking about letting a spread go all the way through expiration. Now, what will happen, and it might happen like the process of which this happens may occur differently for brokers, but the end result is essentially going to be the same. Let's say that you have a short put spread that is now deep in the money. So you sold a put spread on some stock and you sold the 50 strike puts and you bought the 49 strike puts for protection. So just a $1 wide spread. So you're short the 59 strike put, you're long the 49 strike put. At expiration, if you let those contracts go through expiration, they will effectively cancel each other out when they go through assignment and exercise. So your short 50 strike put will be assigned automatically, but your long 49 put that you're holding will be automatically exercised. And the difference between those two contracts will offset. So you will be assigned 100 shares at $50, but you will receive 100 short shares that you're short at $49. And so now those two positions offset from the shares. The problem with that is that in many cases I've seen, not all cases, but in many cases, the timing of those two can be a little bit different in when they settle. And so it might require that you hold contracts for a day or two or whatever or through the weekend or whatever before they actually completely offset. But the end result is that they are offsetting. That's why spreads are defined risk. Because after that point, if you let both contracts go and you have to let both contracts go through that process, if you do, then they offset each other. That's not to say, however, that you shouldn't just manually close the trades before expiration. That's what we do for positions that are in the money. And the reason we do that is because we want to avoid the additional, if brokers have it, assignment fees and kind of hassle of going through that whole process. Instead, you can just reverse the trade by buying and selling back the contracts of the spread and closing the position the same way you normally would. So if you do let the deep in the money contracts go through the expiration process, they get handled exactly the same as any contract that would be in the money. Number four, what time of day do options expire? All right, so this is a really fun one because, and I say fun in Air Finkers quotes because there's actually two things you have to unpack here. There's actually when do options stop trading, which is usually 4 p.m. Eastern, East Coast time. And that's when you can actually stop trading the actual contracts. But then they expire after that in the evening. And different contracts may expire just a little bit different, whether it's in after hours trading at six o'clock or technically midnight or whatever the case is, but they actually continue trading. The underlying shares continue trading after 4 p.m. in after hours markets. And this is important because a lot of people will look at an option contract and say, okay, it's not in the money by a penny, right? Or it is in the money by a penny on four o'clock. But after four o'clock, if there's a big announcement or the market moves or something happened with the company or ETF, and now the contract goes from out of the money to in the money or in the money to out of the money, that can change whether the contract gets assigned or not, or whether it goes through exercise or not. So just as important as understanding that options expire on the third Friday of every month for monthly contracts and whatever it is for weekly contracts, it's just as important to understand when they actually stop trading that they don't actually settle at that price, that the settlement price actually occurs later in the evening when everything stops in after hours. Now, of course, you always want to definitely check with different exchanges and see when they classify it and when you definitely want to send in your notices if you do want to exercise or automatically get the assignment of the contract over to you. 
Number five, what happens when options expire out of the money? Well, nothing happens actually. So when options expire out of the money, they just cease to exist. They disappear from the ethos, right? They no longer are there. They are contracts that do not have any value. And so therefore they're not converted over. They're not assigned. They're not exercised. They just simply disappear and the contract is removed from your account and all of the credits and balances and all that stuff is properly accounted for once it's there. If you have margin tied up with a contract and it goes through expiration, then the margin is now released because the contract is done and you're free to continue trading with additional contracts. Number six, what are the advantages to letting options expire in the money? Well, to me, the advantage is only if you want to get delivery of the shares. So if you don't want to get delivery of the shares, there's no real advantage to letting the option contract expire in the money. So expiration and going through that process for most brokers requires additional fees, let alone the additional capital of holding the underlying shares that you want to get delivery of. So the advantage to letting it expire in the money would only be an advantage if you had a trade where you wanted to get assignment of the stock or you wanted to get delivery of the stock. So if you were executing the wheel strategy, which we've talked about here on the podcast before with member MACD Daddy, where he sells a put option and then if he is assigned the shares of the stock at the strike price, he then goes and sells a cover call against it and replicates this wheel, this continuous loop of trading around where the stock is trading. It's a really cool strategy you can use and you can definitely start a bot on it and use that as part of the new bot trading platform. But it would only be if you actually wanted to take delivery of the underlying shares. Number seven, what happens if your option expires in the money? Well, if it expires in the money, then the broker will automatically exercise it. So this is kind of partly with question number one, which was, will the broker automatically exercise my options that are in the money? If your option does expire in the money, the broker assumes that you wanted to take delivery of it either you wanted to exercise and buy the stock or you wanted to get assigned the stock or whatever the case is, they assume that that was your intent because you didn't do anything beforehand. So if your option contract expires in the money, you will get assigned exercise and it will get converted over. Now that doesn't mean that you'll lose the option premium. It just will be factored into all of your trading P&L, but it will go through the process of conversion from option to underlying shares. Number eight, can you avoid option assignment? No you really can't avoid option assignment. Option assignment by its nature is very random. Now, statistically, most of the options that are assigned exercise, as we saw 6.3%, happen the last week and the last couple days of expiration. And in many cases, option contracts that are really far out of them in the money on both sides versus just marginally at best. So a lot of people email in and they say, I want to totally avoid option assignment. And my response to that is, okay, great. Totally avoid trading options completely. That's the only way I guess you could avoid it, right? But you can't avoid something that is a random process. Sometimes you do get assigned randomly very early in the cycle for no apparent reason. Maybe somebody just want to convert it over. Maybe they hit the wrong button. They didn't mean to do it. Whatever the case is, you could be part of that. So it's an unavoidable process and it will happen to you. But if you close positions out early, so you don't let them go all the way to expiration, definitely don't let them go through expiration if you want to avoid as much of this as possible, and you close positions, say, a couple days before expiration or positions that are really deep in the money before expiration, you'll probably avoid most of the assignment risk that comes with options trading. Probably not 100% of it because some will sneak through and you'll get assigned randomly here and there, but you'll avoid a lot of the option assignment and exercise risk that's associated with it. 
Number nine, who decides if a contract is exercised or not? This is a funny one. This is one where if you look at it from two different lenses, you could basically make the argument that the person who is trading the contract makes the decision in both cases, but it's a little bit different. So technically speaking, the person who controls whether the option contract is officially exercised is the call option buyer or any option buyer, call option buyer, put option buyer. It's the option buyer. The option buyer has the choice to exercise the contract or not. An option seller, by definition, has the obligation, but not the right to choose whether the option contract is assigned or not. And so on that lens, you could say the option buyer controls whether the contract is exercised. And that is absolutely true for any type of exercise and assignment that happens prior to expiration. But if you are an option seller and you choose to let your contract go through expiration and nobody has assigned you yet, then by default, you're actually choosing to go through the assignment exercise process yourself. So once you get to expiration, it's actually any party, really, an option buyer, an option seller, who will choose to let their contract go through expiration and become converted over. So that one's a tricky one to answer because technically anytime before expiration, it's the option buyer. Once you get to expiration, you go through that process, it's really both parties who could choose. Number 10 how does time to expiration impact option prices? So the theta decay of an option contract is something that accelerates as it reaches expiration. So you want to think of theta decay as something that is a slow drip in a bucket, right? Where if you have this bucket of water, which is the value of an option contract, theta decay is like pricking that bucket with just a small pin at first. And then that hole grows in size as it reaches expiration. As it starts to have more pressure from water coming out, it grows and grows and grows, which creates more pressure and more water coming out, et cetera. That's the way I think of theta decay. Theta decay starts off really slow for option contracts that are far out from their expiration. And as it approaches expiration, it speeds up faster and faster and faster. And to the point at which, and I think it's really around like the 40, 45 day-ish period, that the slope of the line of decay starts to accelerate at an ever-increasing pace, almost an exponential pace. And you get to the last couple of weeks of expiration and theta decay is getting ripped out of contracts really, really fast. So that's how it impacts option pricing. Theta decay slowly erodes the value of the contract, the time value that's inherent in the option contracts as it approaches expiration. Number 11, is it better to sell options before expiration? Yes, it is better, in my opinion, to sell out of your position before expiration versus letting it go through the exercise and assignment process. This is why, as we talked about in the beginning, most of the option contracts that are traded according to the OCC have closing sales. And what they're saying here is that most times people choose just to reverse the trade that they have rather than go through the whole process of exercise and assignment. So do I think it's better? I do. I think it's a cleaner way to trade if you can do it. I think it makes all of the money changing back and forth and all the additional fees that happen in your account a lot easier to manage. And it just is, again, it's a lot easier on your mind because you don't have to worry about all the conversions and things like that. So unless there's a reason why you want to convert this thing over and you got to have a really compelling reason, I think it's much better just to deal with the contracts and use closing sell orders and closing buyback orders to reverse trades. 
Number 12, how soon can you sell options before expiration? Well, you can sell them right away. So the beauty of option contracts is, and this goes the same for American style versus European style, where a lot of people get confused is that American style contracts can be exercised or assigned anytime before expiration. European style contracts can only be exercised and basically converted into cash equivalents at expiration. But that says nothing about the fact that you can trade those contracts back and forth as much as you want anytime. So whether it's an American style or European style, which has different ways of handling exercise and assignment, the fact that you can trade contracts back and forth you can do that right away. So you can open a contract and sell it right back. You can sell a contract and buy it right back. You can do that in seconds if you wanted to. And day trade option contracts like that, I'm not a fan of that, but people do that where they buy a contract, sell it back, sell a contract, buy it back. You can do that as much as you want. Number 13, what is the value of a call option on its expiration date? So the value of a call option or the value of a put option on its expiration date is only the value of its intrinsic component. So remember we said earlier, there's two components to an options price. There's intrinsic value, the value when converted right now, and extrinsic value, which is time and volatility and all those other things, those external components. So on its expiration date, a call option is only worth exactly what the intrinsic value is. So for example, if you have a call option where you bought a 50 strike call and the stock closed expiration at $55, then the option contract is worth exactly $5, which is the difference between your strike price and where the stock closed. That's the intrinsic value. You can buy stock at 50 and you can sell it at 55. That's the value of the contract. Number 14, what happens when a put option expires in the money? So when a put option expires in the money and it is converted or exercised assigned depending on which side of the contract you're on, then basically the shares get exchanged from one person to another. So if you are short a put option contract, which is most of the way that people trade put options, you are short a put option contract at a 50 strike price. If that contract expires in the money, which means that the stock price is below where that contract is, then you will get assigned your short put option contract and you will be forced to buy stock at $50, which is the strike price. Now the put option buyer, on the other hand, they are selling you stock at $50, which is the strike price. Now they may already own the stock, in which case if the stock is now trading below $50, they get a deal because they get to sell stock to you at a higher price or they may just believe that the stock is going to go down in value. So they buy a put option contract at 50 and they can sell stock at 50 and repurchase it in the open market for some lower price. So that's what happens when a put option expires in the money. Number 15, are weekly or monthly expiration contracts better? Now, this is probably one of the bigger questions we get where people are always trying to figure out which one's better. But for the purposes of this podcast, there's no difference in them other than when they expire. So weekly contracts expire every week when there's not a monthly contract. And then of course, monthly contracts are your typical standard contracts, third Friday of every month, but they're not necessarily better or worse than the other. 
They all behave exactly the same. They all come into the same time period. A monthly contract will eventually become a weekly contract the week that it expires. And so it will behave like every other weekly contract that expires with five or 10 days to go till expiration. And so there's no saying that one is better than the other. There's no real differences necessarily in how they go about their process of if you know something's in the money, does it get exercised? Of course. Yes, it does. If something's out of the money, does it expire worthless? Yep. Same thing holds true. So there's no difference there to say one is better than the other. It's just a preference on which one you want to trade. So we rifled through a lot of those, but hopefully those really helped out those kind of top 15 questions that we've seen around options expiration. Again, if you have any other follow-up questions on this, let us know. Add it to the show notes page over at optionalpha.com slash show 187. Again, that's just number 187. If you thought this was helpful and this could help somebody else, please share this online. Consider giving us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to us because this is really how we get the show into the hands of other people who are like you that don't know anything about trading yet or just learning and starting the whole process. And my goal is to help educate people around this entire process. I told this to our team a while back, and it's really important to say it here, but there was that story that came out quite some time ago now, about a month and a half ago, I think, on this Robinhood trader, this young kid who committed suicide potentially, and we assume because that's what the news story was, because of what happened through assignment. Now, I don't want to take political sides and say it was this person's fault or that person's fault. We can all agree that in this particular case, this now became to me, and I told our team this, you know, options trading to me now and getting this stuff right and getting education out is now a life or death thing. It used to be really, really important. But I used to say like, you know, options trading is not life or death. Like it's not, but it actually is now. It really is because this poor kid, young kid did not know that a spread that he was trading was going to offset. And had he, maybe I would hope, had he listened to a podcast that we did or listened to something that we put out or or taken any course that anybody has on options trading and understood that process, he might not have made the decision that he made. I look at education now as a life or death thing for people. And whether you do or not, that's your opinion of it. That's how we treat it now. So If you can share this, if you can share what we do on Option Alpha, if you think it could help literally one person make a better decision so they don't go off the rails and do something crazy just because they didn't understand the nuances or the terminology or the concepts or the process, then I think we all have a tremendous impact in this world. So anyways, that's my pitch for doing that. So hopefully you guys enjoyed today's show, but I think we can all do a lot more and we are definitely trying to do that here at Option Alpha with everything that we do. So again, you can get all this and more of the transcript, show notes, links to other resources by heading over to optionalpha.com slash show 187. Again, that's just the number 187, optionalpha.com slash show 187. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hi, Kirk. This is Rich. Just finished listening to your weekly podcast number 128, dealing with adjustments to option trades and laddering. I have also listened to your course module that discusses option trade adjustments, specifically on vertical spreads. In that lecture, you describe turning a vertical spread into an iron condor as opposed to laddering out on the original trade. Is the approach different with the iron condor versus the vertical spread 
because the iron condor is a neutral strategy and therefore you want a ladder trades with the direction of the market and a vertical spread is a directional bet and therefore you don't want a ladder in the direction of the market, I would appreciate your explanation as to the different adjustment strategies. Thank you for all your help. Hey, Rich, man. Thank you so much for submitting your question. Great question here, talking about the differences of making adjustments and legging, laddering into trades. So the way I'll describe it is this. If you want to make an iron condor trade right off the bat, that is a neutral range-bound strategy. And the idea going into an iron condor trade is that you believe that the stock is going to trade within a range or stay kind of confined to the range around your break-even points. However, when you start trading spreads, what happens with spreads is that you take a semi-directional trade where you think that the stock is going to either move the opposite direction or neutral, just not against your strikes. So in this case, if you think that the stock is going to go down, you might sell a call credit spread. And that doesn't mean that the stock can't go up. It just can't go beyond your strikes. But your overall assumption is generally bearish to neutral, so semi-directional in nature. What I talk about in converting a trade is when trades like that start to challenge you. And if you think about it, it is conceptually the same process as if you were to adjust an iron condor or an iron butterfly. But when you have a vertical spread, like a call credit spread, where you're trading, hoping, assuming the stock goes lower, and the stock starts to trade higher against your strike, one way that you can hedge that position or reduce risk in that position is to sell the opposing put spread. And by nature, convert it from just a single one-sided call credit spread into a combined position, which is now an iron condor or an iron butterfly, depending on how you do it. That is a process of converting an existing position into something else, which is something that we actually talk about all the time on the trader or the closing bell segment where we talk about spreads that we trade. But that's a process of adjusting a trade and legging into it, not because you now are neutral on the strategy, but because you need to reduce risk. You can choose to leg into a neutral strategy if you want to. You can choose on an iron condor to grab the put spread side and the call spread side differently. But if the goal of getting into the position was to be neutral, that's where I say, I don't think that you should leg into that strategy. I think you should just get into a neutral trade and grab both sides at the same time. But if your goal is to trade a semi-directional trade and then it turns out to be a trade that goes against you, then you can use the same concept of legging to adjust that position and hedge your bet. So hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully it helps out. As always, if you guys have any other questions you want to get answered here on the podcast, simply head on over to optionoff.com slash ask and click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. Again, there's no software to download or install and it's incredibly easy. So let's get into the closing bell segment today where we're going to discuss a new trade that we're making in XBI. Now... The closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so new trade that we're making in XBI, and this one actually kind of is very interesting because it goes right after what Rich had said about potentially why we do one side of a trade and not both legs at the same time. We're actually doing another bearish call credit spread in XBI, and this time we're doing it for September. 
and we're selling this one for $1.53, selling the 120 125 credit call spread above where XBI is trading. So right now XBI is trading about 115, 116 or so. It's been trading kind of all over the map today, about 115, 116 or so. And so we're selling a call credit spread at 120 and buying the other leg at 125, creating a $5 wide spread should give us roughly a 70% chance of success. Now, the reason that I like this trade is not only because I want to trade XBI generally because it's an uncorrelated ticker for our portfolio, but it's been on a little bit of a run and I'm going to force the market to continue to move against me and continue to run up against this position for this particular trade that we're getting into. We have a lot of other neutral trades that we're making, but I like to filter in some of these directional trades here and there where I have an opinion. And in this case, I do have an opinion. I think that XBI has had a tremendous run and is starting to get really overbought, which means that it might move sideways to down. Not that it's going to turn over immediately, but it might move sideways to down. So in this case, I can sell a call credit spread, give myself a, a nice buffer so that if the stock does rally up against our strikes, we have some room for the stock to rally and still make some money. But this is a case where if the stock were to go up to 120 or go up to somewhere around there, and I felt like we were running out of time and we needed to adjust the position, we could sell the opposing put spread, the 120, 115 put spread, which is the same width as our call spread, do the same number of contracts and convert the position into an iron butterfly, which would hedge our position, increase our credit, reduce our risk on the position. That's why I love options so much because we have that flexibility to make that type of trade. So again, good little small trade here. All the trades that we do are small. This one again is a little bit directional in nature versus some of the other ones that are more neutral, but I like doing these sometimes and just again, forcing the market to continuously move against us if that's what's going to do. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, that's a wrap for this week's podcast episode here at Option But before you go, let's keep the conversation going. Please connect with us on your favorite social media platform. Let me know what additional questions you might have on options expiration or anything options trading related. Any ideas or thoughts that come to mind after listening to today's show, we'd definitely love to know. Also want to let you know what we've got coming up next week on the podcast. We're going to be diving right back into options trading taxes. I've got a very special guest who's going to be joining us. You definitely do not want to miss this conversation that we had around options trading taxes. Also, as far as platform updates go, I would encourage you to join us over on Instagram. We are at Option Alpha on Instagram. We've got a lot of people following us there. That is where we are posting most of the intra week and intra month updates on what we're doing on the new platform, updates, screenshots, videos, asking questions, soliciting feedback. You know, this is one of the areas that we're really trying to engage with everyone on and it's been working amazingly well. So if you're not following us on Instagram, you're not seeing the updates that we put out in addition to the updates on the regular updates page on the website, you definitely want to go over to Instagram and follow us there. As always, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to help you consistently play smarter, more profitable trades. And until next time, happy trading.